Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And today's podcast topic is engaging religious pluralism. We're going to ask the question, how can we engage with people who say, how can one religion be true? Can't all religions be true? And I have two guests to help us with this discussion today. My first guest is in studio is uh, Tim Yoder. And Dr. Yoder teaches apologetics here. He teaches in the theology department. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you, Mikhail. It's good to be here. And my second guest is coming to us via Skype from sunshiny Southern California. Craig Hazen. Craig Hazen is the Director of Christian Apologetics at Biola University, my alma mater, and we're so glad that you're here on the show, Craig. Hey, good to be here. Mikkel is one of our uh, illustrious graduates, you know, somebody we point to all the time. Uh, If you want to do it. MA in Christian Apologetics at Biola University, you can be just like Miguel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Greg. Well, I'm so glad that you guys could join us on the show today to talk about this, because this is a question that a lot of people actually have. They're they're trying to share their faith, and they get stopped by some of these challenges, like, well, that's that's great for you, you know, but all religions are true, or why why can you say there's only one way? How could that be? But before we dive into that, let me just uh, get a little bit of uh, background for our listeners mm-hmm. on, on each of you guys. Um, Tim, I don't think we've ever asked you on the show how you got interested in studying philosophy of religion. That's a great question. So I um, was raised in a Christian home, and I, um, you know, active in my church, youth group, went to a Bible college, Philadelphia College of Bible, and, and then seminary, and I was thinking that maybe I would be an evangelist or a missionary or a pastor, um, and I did some of those things. I was a pastor for youth pastor for a little while, and I was a missionary in northern Russia for a few years in the 90s, um, but in all of those things, it didn't feel like that was exactly what God had in mind, and, um, and what he, he really seemed to be calling me to was uh, a, a, a life committed to helping to develop critical thinking and to um, and to raise the, the level of intellectual engagement in the church. And uh, and my, my last year of seminary, I actually had some philosophy courses with Dr. Bruce Ware, and it kind of, a light bulb sort of came on that, oh, philosophy, this may be the, the pathway to really engage these things for the purpose of helping the church mm. to grow. And so, um, but of course, that was my, the le- end of my seminary time, which was already extended a little little more than I had hoped, and uh, so what, but what I did my next degree, which was a PhD, I, I, I did uh, philosophy of religion at Marquette University, and um, and it's great, and the Lord has opened up doors to engage, to teach students, and to uh, uh, to do some writing and thinking and speaking, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Hmm. Well, Craig, how did you get interested in studying comparative religions? Yeah, well, it really goes back to me becoming a Christian in the first place as a senior in high school. I was, I was like the... Uh, Oh, the, you know, the campus agnostic or atheist, hmm. you know, uh, and there, there were a lot of people gunning for me. So I, I end up becoming a Christian, right? <laughs> uh, but a lot of the questions I had before becoming a Christian were, what about the other religions? That's one that I thought no Christian I'd talk to could really give me a decent answer to. What about, hmm. and they didn't seem to know anything about them, you know? Hmm. What about the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims and you know, and, and stuff we've never heard of. You know, there's there's religions being invented on corner streets <laughs> in Los Angeles right now. What about those? <laughs> so, uh, so that was a question that carried me right into the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. 
And so, strangely, I ended up uh, kind of devoting my uh, uh, graduate education to studying those kinds of questions. You know, how does Christianity stack up against you know, the other great world religious traditions? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be, out, to be talking about that with you today. Yeah, well, let's begin by talking about the term religious pluralism. That might not be a term that a lot of people have heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people mean different things by that term, religious pluralism. So, Tim, can you help us understand uh, the different ways that term is used and what we're talking about specifically here today? Okay, well, very good. So, um, pluralism is a term used in a number of different contexts. And it, I think at, at the heart of it, pluralism just means there is more than one right answer to a certain question. Um, and in some ways that seems like a very obvious thing, and so sometimes that seems like a very weird sort of a thing. Like I definitely remember in math class when I was in elementary school learning my multiplication tables and addition tables, and when I didn't get the right answer, it was wrong, and, and I felt bad. And so there was one right answer to, you know, seven times three or four plus four, something like that. But in other regards, it seems like there's more than one right answer, more than one way to get to a certain place. You know, I can come to school here by four or five or six different routes, um, which are all good depending on traffic and other sorts of things. And so there's more than one right way for me to get here. So pluralism is the idea that there's more than one right way uh, or more than one right answer. And then um, in this context, it means that, that there is more than one religion that is successful or true or... Um, or will get you to heaven, or get you to wherever you want to go. Um, John Hick is famous for saying that that it means that that all religions are successful in terms of interacting with the absolute. Mm-hmm. So, so something along those lines is what is what I have in mind by the term. Okay, so we're making a distinction between just the mere fact that hey, there's a lot of religions that are around. People believe different things, and we do live in a pluralistic society. That's just a fact. It is. And then the idea that all paths are somehow equally valid or equally right. true right. In, in, in their truth claims, right? Yes. Um, Craig, when I think about truth claims in terms of uh, people who hold to religious pluralism, um, is relativism pretty much the same thing? How do those things connect together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure they are, but this, this whole idea of religious pluralism, I mean, it, 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 Tim was great at, at giving sort of the multiplicity of definitions of this. It's, some people uh, mean by the term simply that there's lots of religions around. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the United States is a pluralistic place with regard to religion, and there's lots of them out there. Uh, but sometimes it means uh, that that, like, as Tim was describing, that, that somehow more than one of them is true in the claims that it's making, and and that that becomes problematic and obviously lives right, uh, leads right to a kind of relativism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I don't know what you, what kind of relativism you'd like to dish up today, the moral relativism <laughs> or epistemological relativism, but, but certainly these things are, are uh, glued at the hip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you've studied uh, a variety of world religions, how much have you found reason and evidence really being a big part of uh, a lot of non-Christian religions? Yeah, that's a that's a really mixed bag. I think when you dig deeply into the various religions, um, one thing that struck me about Christianity is how different it is in this regard. Hmm. Now, on the surface, they all seem to uh, be kind of the same, making making certain truth claims and right. sometimes even giving good arguments about them. But when you dig down a little bit, there's really not much there. Hmm. Christianity, on the other hand, is actually grounded in such claims. 
You know, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12, you know, if if Jesus did not come back from the dead, <laughs> uh, Christianity's bunk. It's just not true. Your mm-hmm. faith is worthless. Go do something else, for goodness sake, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, that's, I like approaching a religion that way, and, and that actually uh, warms my heart about Christianity, although it causes a lot of Christians to, to, to really uh, get unnerved. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get a little bit nervous about such things. Well, what if we don't have the evidence? What if there's really no good reason to believe that Jesus came back from the dead? According to the Apostle Paul, uh, we're well within our rights to move along and do something else. Mm-hmm. So I think on that particular point, uh, if you dig deeply into these religions and what they mean by truth and evidence and rationality, Christianity ends up being a dramatic standout. It, it actually uh, sinks or swims on certain historical claims. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, tell, tell that story real quick. You've, you've mentioned before how, how someone came up to you at a church one day and said, but you shouldn't talk like that, Craig. It's like, what if it's not true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually gave a message on <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 9, where the Apostle Paul two times says, if Jesus did not come back from the dead, your, your faith is worthless or your faith is empty. And uh, so, some, this, this is kind of a liberal-leaning church, and a woman came up to me afterwards and said, well, well, you know, you got to be careful with a passage like that. I mean, uh, what if it didn't happen? You know, I said, oh my goodness, this church has way bigger problems than 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 me being a, a expounding on this particular mm-hmm. passage. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you folks need to like retool your Sunday school through oh. adult education. Yeah, so it's surprising sometimes the kinds of things that uh, people even in the church. Uh, will say to us when it comes to this uh, this topic of religious pluralism. Mm-hmm. Um, can can I really believe that there's only one way? Right. A lot of people would right. say no. You know, uh, why, what are some reasons, Tim, that you think people might say no to uh, that question? Okay. Well, I think um, uh, we should we should begin with the with the famous story of the the blind man and the elephant. Right. Everybody. I think every conversation about this topic has to begin with that parable, which probably is is Indian or Hindu in tradition, but it's um, but it's the idea that that these these group of blind men uh, stumble upon an elephant which they had never encountered before, and they didn't know what it was, and they surrounded the elephant, and the one the one man grabs hold of the leg and said, "Oh wow, it's it an elephant must be like a tree. It's 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 sturdy and round." And and the other one had hold of uh, the tusk and said, "No, no, it's more like a sword or a knife." And and the other one another one had the the, uh, the, the trunk and said, "No, no, it's more like a snake." And then the still fourth one had the side of the elephant and said, no, it's kind of a wall. And, and, and the, of course, the moral of the story is that none of them were really wrong. So therefore, all of our, you know, all of our answers are right. Mm-hmm. And, and if we say that we have the one true perspective, therefore, we must be, be arrogant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's kind of uh, the, at least one way, one way in which um, some, some that espouse a more pluralistic notion will begin. Um, the, the answer to that, though, is, um, is pretty clear, and that is that uh, just because they have part of the truth doesn't mean that, that they have all of the truth. And in fact, you only really know the whole of the truth when you, if you can see, see broadly and see the whole thing. So to just say that, that everybody is just automatically right is actually a kind of perspective on the truth, and so therefore 
in a way, it's almost sort of self-defeating, right? If, if you say, well, well the, the true answer is that everybody is right, they're still arguing for a true answer, a true perspective, and so the, the claim of, of arrogance still applies in some regard. Um, the, other, the other problem that we can get into, of course, is that when, when people say that all religions are the same or all religions are true, um, well, I like to say, I like to think, think of it this way. When they say that all religions are true, I'm sorry, when they say that all religions are the same and therefore that they're all true, what they're really saying is that no religion is true. Because yeah. if you say that all religions are true, um, when, when faced with the clear incompatibility of religious traditions, even just on the question of God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Christians are Trinitarian, um, more, uh, Muslims are, are, are monotheistic, Hindus are, are wildly pluralistic, Buddhists, at least some strains, don't believe in a god at all, and, and Mormons believe in a god that is the same kind of species as we are. I mean, we, and that's just a, a few of the major religions, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. just in you know, like 30 seconds, right? I yeah. mean, those, those are huge, stark, really significant, real differences about mm-hmm. the nature of the, the deity, which are not easily wrangled in saying, well, it's all just one side of the elephant. Well, no, they're, they're very different. They're, mm-hmm. they're mutually exclusive sorts of positions in the nature of the deity. And so, so, so you're, you're papering over the real differences that are there. So that when people say that all religions are basically true, what they're basically saying is that religions are not true and that truth is not a category, and when we get into that kind of territory, then we're in a very, very different sort of discussion altogether. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, Can I give one more example that yeah. helps to highlight uh, the, the wonderful example Tim gave with mm-hmm. regard to the, the blind men and the elephant. Uh, I did a little research one time just looking for the earliest version of that particular parable story that I could find, and it definitely comes from the Indian subcontinent, you know, many generations ago. Right. Uh, but in the earliest one that I could find, there's an interesting ending. In fact, the, the whole thing really isn't centered on the blind man or the elephant. It's really centered on a local Raja, right? A local king. And this is all taking place at his palace, and in the courtyard is the elephant. And a small troop of blind men walk in and start bumping into the elephant and, and touching all the various parts and, and uh, you know, proclaiming what they think this is. Okay. Uh, but, but the story ends, but with a very strong focus with the Raja, who's up on a balcony looking at all this mayhem. Because by then, the blind men are pummeling each other in a fist fight, you know, which is actually a great metaphor for the kind of conflict we have when we disagree on religious matters. Hmm. But the shift focused to him, and he says this. He looks down into the mayhem in the courtyard and says, you foolish blind men. Don't you know you're all touching the same thing? You're touching an elephant. Now, the profound nature there is that it required, this is, this is a wonderful symbol here, it required a word from above right, right. to understand the actual situation on the ground. Mm. It, took, it took somebody with a bird's eye view, with a God's eye view, looking mm-hmm. down to tell the poor blind men what the real scoop was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the multiplicity so of opinions right? didn't lead we're to looking for that uh, that raja or that bird's eye view to really enlighten us about the the religious plurality mm-hmm. that humans experience. Right, because in a, in a sense we are just like these blind men bumping around. And how do we know we're just human beings trying to figure out reality? But if we have her, if God has spoken, if God has given us that objective word from above, right. then then we best pay attention to what He has to say. Yes. Um, you were going to say something. Here. I was going to say, and the and the, the story in in Craig's version, um, which I hadn't heard before. That's great. I'm definitely going to use that the next time I, I bring that up. Um, the uh, 
the multiplicity of opinions didn't necessarily lead to tolerant and tolerance and uh, <laughs> <That's right>. mutual <laughs> uh, affection, but but to to violence. So yeah, so that's interesting yeah. as well. Interesting. Yeah, it's you mentioned how how Christians are often perceived as arrogant to say, you know, how could you say one way is the only mm-hmm. way? But it's interesting that that in in Christianity, you you actually can't be arrogant because you have to say, look, I am kind of just like these blind men. I don't know any better except. I'm listening to the king, mm-hmm. and I can't just say, oh, whatever I think is right. I have to say, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust your, um, your revelation so that I know what things are like, and I can't just make it up myself. But that leads us to the next part of uh, what I wanted to talk about, which is some of the different ways that people tend to approach religion. And um, one way that I want to talk about is the, uh, the all roads lead to the same path kind of model. I call that the mountain model where you have a Buddhist going up this path and a Hindu, maybe a similar kind of path, maybe mm-hmm. diverges a little bit. And then, you know, on the monotheistic uh, Judeo-Christian side, you have uh, the Ab- Abrahamic traditions on their own path. Um, what's the attraction to that model? And then how, how can we help people evaluate that model? So, um, well, the attraction is that, uh, the attraction is that, um, it means that we don't really have to, to judge too much all these competing claims, right? We can we can look at our 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 our, um, our neighbor, our friend, um, who might be Buddhist or Muslim or 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 Darwinist or something else, and say, "Well, they're okay. They're they're fine. They're 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 okay." Um, you know, so nobody wants to say that somebody, you know, as somebody who was as wonderful engaging as say Gandhi, right? Is Gandhi really in hell? Is you know, is our um, are other people like that? Um, and so, and so you, you, you don't have to do as much judging. You don't have to do so much discernment and discrimination about competing claims because, right, all rivers lead to the same ocean, right? Mm-hmm. All, all mountain paths lead to the summit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, the problem with that is it really, um, it really undermines the value of, of truthfulness, mm-hmm. right? If there is, if there is a, real, a genuine truth about religion or a genuine truth about about the nature of God, our human nature, the nature of salvation, if there's a genuine truth about the problem um, that we face as humans and the solution, then then it requires us to engage in some discrimination and some judgment. I don't mean I don't mean, you know, um, racial discrimination, but I mean um, discrimination of ideas, thinking them through, evaluating what's what's true and what's right mm-hmm. so that um, so that we get we can get somewhere. That's that's I mean that's part of of every academic endeavor, mm-hmm. and and it fits here. I, I like to put it this way. Um, maybe this will be helpful. Um, when we consider religious truth claims, we have to ask whether we think that they are more like science and math or more like food and music. Hmm. Let me let me unpack that a little bit, right? Okay. In like I said earlier, in 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 the realms of science and math, there's a, there's one right answer. Right, mm-hmm. and you you don't build bridges or or send rockets into outer space, right? If you have uh, a kind of loosey goosey idea about the truths of math and science and engineering and, and physics and all those sort of things, there's one right answer, and we know it because because stuff actually works, rockets and bridges and airplanes and so on. But when we get to things like um, food or music, right? We have differing tastes, and if you know if somebody says, "Well, I happen to like you know rap," or somebody says, "I happen to like jazz," or "I happen to like opera." Rarely is somebody going to say, "Oh no, you're just wrong," right? They might say, "I don't, I don't particularly like that kind of music," mm-hmm. but they won't say, "Oh, Mikhail, you like jazz? You're so wrong," 
or food, right? Mm-hmm. If you like Mexican food, oh, that's that's just false. <laughs> that's a little strange, <laughs> yeah. right? But um, but we just say that we have differing tastes, and we mm-hmm. and we 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 um, approve of people having differing opinions about those sorts of matters. But I think that there's a, a really good reason for us thinking that that religious truth claims are actually fit better with the realm of science and math because religious truth claims are trying to give us a an evaluation or a depiction, a description of the way things really are. Mm-hmm. That's what the truth really is, a description mm-hmm. of the way things really are. There really is a God, and he's like this. There really mm-hmm. is the problem of mankind, and it's like this. Mm-hmm. And here's the solution, and here's what it is. And so we're, we're making truth claims about the way things are, just the way science and math try to understand the way the world really is. Mm-hmm. And so it's not an, an, a, a, a domain in which we can just espouse, you know, our particular likes or dislikes or our how we're feeling that day. I'm kind of in a Chinese food mood today. No, that's that's not what we're doing when we're mm-hmm. doing religion. We are trying to understand the way things really are, how God really is, how we really are, what's our problem, what's the solution. And so I think we're in areas in which um, a, a, a strong understanding of the nature of truth is entirely appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned God earlier. That's not a, a side thing, like on what days no. should you fast, you know? Exactly. It's, uh, is there a God or not, first of all, right? And those can't be true at the same time. You can't have God exist and not exist at the same time in the same sense. Um, I could tell you, I'm Filipino. Hey, I really am. But if you think I'm an Irish guy, well, you can think that all you want, or if you think I'm like, you know, a six foot tall African American basketball player, well, you can think that all you want, but it's just not true. Right. Um, I'm sorry if that offends you, but this is who I am, right? Mm-hmm. So on, on the other hand, if God says this is who I am, and we say, well, I, I'd rather think that you were something else, um, we're just, we're just not uh, in touch with reality. Mm-hmm. Craig, did you want to chime in on that mountain model? No, in fact, uh, Tim Yoder has this so well na- nailed down that I'm going to go downstairs and make a sandwich. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking make of, make me one too. Put it in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where we're going next. Actually, is the whole like make your own buffet religion model, and I'll start off with you on that one. Um, what's the attraction with that, and how can we begin to engage people who who feel like, well, hey, spirituality is just something I can I can make like I'm at a lunch buffet and pull a little bit of this and that, and isn't that what religion's for? Just to kind to help me, you know, on my own path. Yeah, you know, you're, you, you're reminding me of an essay by uh, Robert Bella. He's a famous sociologist of religion at UC Berkeley, you know, uh, years ago. And he did, he got together with a bunch of other sociologists. And they did this massive study about religion in America. What really is a religious person in the United States? Hmm. And they boiled it down to this person that they called Sheila. Okay. And Sheila... She, Sheila was, they, they characterized her and actually found a person named Sheila who actually embodied every, you know, norm hmm. in, in a kind of a perfect way. And so they, they used her as an example. But she was, number one, she was a, a believer, but not a belonger. Hmm. A believer, but not a belonger. And she was very eclectic in her religious beliefs. So she would pick and choose the hmm. things that she thought would really uh, help her out the most. And these sociologists said that really characterizes uh, uh, really the, the center point of religion in America. And so you can imagine there's some sort of tr- dramatic attractiveness to that kind of approach to religion. And, and Tim's already pointed out some of these things. It, it really is a wonderful recipe for peace and getting along. Because religion, in religion, we're talking about ultimate questions. 
you know, uh, who is God and what's he like, or is there a God and what is she like? Uh, and and hmm. what, what does it take to please this deity and what's right and what's wrong and in the ultimate sense? All of these are things where people can come to blows over, just like the blind men and the elephant. Mm-hmm. And so that 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 hope for peace, I think, is probably the primary driving force in these ideas. And not you're not going to be offending anybody if mm-hmm. you're a believer, but not a belonger. I mean, you you go along with that kind of spiritual feeling, but you know you're not gonna you're not gonna join up. Mm-hmm. With the Baptists or the Jehovah's Witnesses or you know uh, the the local Islamic chapter, you know you're just mm-hmm. not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that actually is a wonderful formula for peace. Now it ends up uh, truth and rationality end up taking it in the chops with this kind of approach, unfortunately. And doing a doctoral program in religious studies at a very secular university, uh, the first thing I noticed was the uh, the scholars in these traditions, and even the people who practiced them on the ground, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, they were kind of unified in one thing that, for goodness sakes, all roads don't lead to God, hmm. or they don't lead to truth or enlightenment. I mean, they were, they were unanimous on that across the board. This is some weird thing we've kind of developed to maybe keep the peace in mm-hmm. terms of religious mm-hmm. and deeply uh, held issues. Mm-hmm. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, it seems so tolerant on the face of it to say, well, can't we all just get along? And you're right. We're all right. Can't we all be right? But but Craig, I think you're on to something here where it is almost it is disrespectful to the leaders of these world religions to begin to twist what they say to make Muhammad's thought fit in with Trinitarian Christianity or to to make, you know, uh, Gautama's uh, Buddhist philosophies somehow congruent with with the Christian faith. Um, but tolerance really is a driving force, I think, um, for this. How do we see um, how do we see that piece fitting into engagement? To, to explain what true tolerance is, Craig, rather than this this kind of let's just all pretend we're we all believe the same thing kind of tolerance. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you did a good you know uh, a ground level job of describing you know what a lot of people think tolerance is. It's just. It's, it's a way we maneuver to keep the peace. Uh, but, but real tolerance ought to do that, but it ought to do it in a more robust way. We acknowledge our differences, and we talk openly about them, but we care for one another right. as human beings, made in the image of God, or at least valuable in some a deeply uh, human or religious sense. Mm-hmm. And so then we can talk about difficult issues, but we're always going to uh, care and respect each other. 
And I think that's uh, that's really where we want to go with tolerance. And, and I, I, I wish everybody could buy into that. We'd all be learning a lot more about each other. Right. And we, I think we'd all be moving towards the truth at a, at a better clip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a, a strategy, Tim, that, that would be helpful for if a Christian is in a conversation and they feel like they get stopped by this kind of challenge they're trying to share the, the gospel tolerance challenge yeah and they're, they're trying to share the gospel and they go you know what that that's great for you but that's just not my thing you yeah know? yes um so i want to i want to actually um begin by by picking up what craig is saying and and add to it a little bit on on tolerance because he's right that that we have there, there's a there's a development in the notion of tolerance so it, mm-hmm. it used to be that we it meant that we respect Everybody's right to disagree, but recognizing that we have this, these agreements, and and at some level they're valid disagreements, and we respect the other person, but we're trying to to um, to get to the truth. But mm-hmm. but contemporary notions of tolerance seem to be the idea that we we can't really um, disagree with anybody, and that all perspectives are valid and and are right. And so we, you know, if we say that if we if we weigh in and say that we don't agree with something. Then we're we're a hater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we uh, and we're you know it's hate speech mm-hmm. and uh, and very serious charges, and and I think that that fails to recognize. And this actually is a, is an answer to your question, Mikhail, about a strategy, because um, uh, tolerance, true tolerance, is a is a limited virtue. It's not an unlimited virtue. It's a limited virtue. Tolerance is a great thing as long as it is done within a range. There are some things that we cannot tolerate. And that's not, not just we, not the three of us sitting around this table, but, but all of us. We don't, we don't tolerate uh, child abuse. We don't tolerate terrorism. We don't tolerate uh, racism. We don't tolerate um, hatred to one another, serial murders. We don't tolerate um, you know, these mass shootings. There's a lot of things that we don't tolerate because they're, they're just wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and we really all grasp that. And it doesn't really matter what religion we are in or what worldview. We recognize that they're wrong. And so there are certain things that just are wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we don't tolerate that. And as soon as we recognize that there's some things that we can't tolerate, then that helps to back off this, this, this notion that, that, well, everything is just fine. Everything is just good. Everything is just okay. And then, and then, and then we can start to, to say, okay, well, where do we draw the line? And once we, once we recognize that there's a line in place, that there are some things that are beyond the pale, mm-hmm. then, we can, then we can start to say, okay, well, then how do we measure these things? How do we determine what the truth is? What do we think? A real prophet of God looks like. What do we think um, a real uh, analysis of the problem of humankind is? And and we can start to, to get. Then we can start to really get into the details of the competing claims and evaluate them. Mm-hmm. And so so that's a strategy um, to uh, to recognize what that that tolerance is really a limited thing. That tolerates tolerance is a limited virtue, and um, and so therefore there there have to be some things that are beyond the pale. And by extension, then there are some ideas that are just false and that we can start to get at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this idea of true tolerance then being that we're we're able to respectfully disagree with people. That's right. Absolutely. So I could disagree with you. You could. But I'm not going to go out and burn your car because I, I hope not. <laughs> this is in fact America and civilization. And That's so right. uh, we should be able to disagree with each other instead of 
kind of walking on eggshells around everyone going, oh, I can't, you know, disagree with you or you're going to think you hate, you know, I hate you or something, right? And it fits really well with um, the, the verse in First Peter about apologetics, right? To, mm-hmm. to be prepared always to give a reason for the hope that's within, but to do so with gentleness and respect, mm-hmm. right? It's right there in that same – We w- Christian apologetics is not about, you know um, – uh, demolishing somebody or, 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 or putting to death those that disagree, right? Th- those kinds of things were, were wrong. Um, what we should do is, is, is engage with, those with gentleness and respect. Um, I teach it to my apologetic students that the, the character of the apologist is as important as the content of the apologetics. Mm-hmm. That's and right. that character is so important. And we have Jesus as our model, right? Jesus was, was gentle and, and loving, although it is interesting that when we get to that arrogance uh, um, charge that is put against us. Mm-hmm. It's not really we as Christians that are arrogant, but if anybody's arrogant, it's Jesus. He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All we're doing is repeating the claim that Jesus made. Of course, in, in Jesus, it's not arrogance because he was God. And so, um, you know, he has the ultimate authority. Yeah. It's not, it's not, really, uh, it's not really arrogance when, it's, when it comes from God. But if not, it's outright blasphemy, right? That's why well, Jesus exactly. keeps upping the, exactly. the ante of authority. You exactly. know, um, yeah, that's I can talk about that all day because Jesus could. and His divine authority um, is is one of my main interests. But Craig, do you have a, a strategy that you've employed for people who kind of stop Christians in their tracks with with this? Uh, you know, that's just that's true for you, but not for me, kind of a thing. What, how would you advise Christians to maneuver in that situation? Oh my goodness, there's so, there's so many little tricks of the trade, you know, to work in that. But uh, let, let me focus on this, and that's just dealing in general with people mm-hmm. from different faiths that you encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I often uh, uh, I often try to uh, inculcate into my students and other people I know in the Christian faith that to to really be great listeners. Mm-hmm. And now it comes kind of naturally for me because I'm kind of an introvert anyway. I like it when other people are doing the talking. And but if it's a person of a different religious background and they've got all kinds of ideas, I just love to sit and listen to them. Hmm. And uh, and so and that then after you listen for a, a good length of time, uh, your your conversation partner always feels like you get a you get an opportunity now to say something. Right. And of course, mm-hmm. being a good listener accomplishes two things. Uh, number one, you get to uh, you get to show the person that you really care about them. I mean, I'm listening to you very carefully. I want to know what you think, and that's very affirming. Mm-hmm. But and but secondly, it also gives you an opportunity to gather intel, you know, to 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 gather some information, to ask some tough questions, and mm-hmm. and I think this kind of Socratic method method where you listen for, them, and then you ask a couple of key questions. Uh, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine. He he grabs me at church one time and says, Hey son, there's a there's a witch in my building. Hmm. I said, what? Yeah, there's a witch. That's what she claims. I mean she dresses real earthy and it's hmm. all kind of weird and so you gotta come fix it. <laughs> I don't know what he's wanting me to do. Uh, but he sets up lunch, you know, and so so we uh, we're supposed to meet in lunch we're in the lobby of some big office building where they work and and uh, there is a woman across the lobby who's dressed in kind of an earthy way, whatever that means, but uh, but my friend doesn't show up, you know. So finally, after a while, I go, that that dog, he abandoned us. And so <laughs> I walk over and introduce myself to the woman. And we, she, I said, should, should, should we have some lunch? And she goes, yeah, let's do it. So so we sat down and we started eating. She was eating some vegetarian delight, and I was eating some you know, ribs or some, <laughs> some animal flesh of some sort, you know, which probably wasn't endearing her 
to me. Uh, so, but she's doing most of the talking. And, and she's going on and on about uh, the life in her witch's coven. She's a member of Wicca and so on. And, and especially about, their, about the way they approach uh, questions of truth and morality. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically a live and let live society, you know, very tolerant, very morally relativistic and so on. And I'm, and I'm just kind of logging this in while I'm eating. Mm-hmm. And finally, she goes, oh, I've been talking for so long. Uh, I want to give you a chance. I mean, what, what do you think about what I've said? And I go, well, uh, you know, I'm curious. What do what do the people when you gather together and you have discussions? What do they What do they say about the Holocaust? That's all mm-hmm. I said. I was looking across the table, and it was a, it was it was as if her worldview was collapsing before my eyes. And but she just didn't know what to even think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tim did a great job of describing this earlier. I mean, what? I mean, there are certain things that are wrong, and I brought up mm-hmm. something that she knew was wrong, but she just didn't know how to address it mm-hmm. coming from where she was. Well, she was very attentive to other things that I had to say after that because she realized she was in a bit of trouble in that, but I'd handled it uh, through listening ears and, and, a, and a lot of kindness. And so, mm-hmm. so, the, so the dialogue ended up going very well the rest of that lunch and carrying on afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thanks wow. for sharing that story. That was, yeah, that's great. It's a very real life kind of story. And I think uh, people are not used to being listened to mm-hmm. nowadays, especially with Christians, unfortunately. There's, there's this um, perception, and sometimes it's because of people's actual experiences, that um, as soon as they, they say something, the Christian wants to correct them. Right. right. And a lot of people who are new to apologetics uh, will oftentimes feel like now I have to defend the entire contents of the whole Christian worldview <laughs> right, because right. somebody just said something I disagree mm-hmm. with. Um, but if we'll just turn our truth meter down for a minute and uh, not off, but just save it, just keep it back there, mm-hmm. gather that intel. Um, Daryl Bach calls it getting a spiritual GPS on somebody uh, <laughs> yes. to find out where they're, where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one, it's just very attractive. Two, it get, does give you that intel, like Craig said. And um, what, what Craig was, was talking about was pushing this person's existential store, sore spot. You know, It's like there's love, there's character, but then there's that challenge. But the challenge comes in the context of that relationship. And, and that is a great way, I think, of getting people to think about, well, here's something I really value and believe, but I can't say that that's good, right? I can't say these things, you know, the Holocaust is, is a good thing, but right. how do you reconcile that with your own, with your own worldview? Do you find that um, people are able to process that uh, more easily when, when you bring it up just so bold-faced like that, like you hold this and you hold this? How does that work together? Well... I mean, everybody's different, and everybody's going to process and uh, process things differently and respond differently. But I, I want to definitely affirm um, Craig's approach there of listening. I think that's, I think that's really important. We, we do, as you said, we live in an era in which people generally do not listen. Right, we it's it's modeled on on all the the, the the new shows and everything else, and and even you know Facebook and other sorts of social media. Right, it's all about ranting and challenging and 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 disrespecting and 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 trumping other people and those sorts of things. And if if people really will listen, just listen, um, then then there is the opportunity to to speak back into it and and to and and then of course you have to ch- um, choose your words carefully, mm-hmm. right. One of the one of the things is that as apologists and and uh, and ambassadors for Christ, we're not necessarily um, our task is not to defend every 
doctrine of the faith, right, in every encounter, which is why I like the story, right? Um, one simple question which, which revealed the, the, the sore spot or the weak point in, in the mm-hmm. worldview. Um, and so, you know, so we have, to be think, we have to be thoughtful and reflective, and people need to be equipped and ready. It's not just something that, that happens without, without any practice, but once you are, um, you know, have, have a little bit of, of, of training or, th- or at least thoughtfulness about this, that simple question, right, can can go a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, uh, Craig, your um, your story um, reminds me a bit of uh, Craig Kukul's book uh, Tactics, in which he gives a lot of strategies for those sorts of things and uh, putting the stone in people's shoe and other sorts of things. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's a wonderful book, uh, not so much of evidences or arguments, but but tactics for engaging with people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Kukul's stuff is, is it's really excellent. Yeah, we've had uh, Greg Kukul and Amy Hall here mm-hmm. on the show, and I encourage our listeners, uh, if you're listening or watching, to go back in the archives and look for uh, that episode on on tactics. Um, Craig, let's say you're in a dialogue with somebody and they say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, to consider this and give Christianity a fresh hearing, but I want to keep my, keep my options open. I want to investigate Good. all the world yeah. religions, which could very well take you five years or whatever. Or 50. To, yeah. Um, not not going to happen in a, in a workshop, right? But uh, where should a thinking person begin to uh, investigate world religions? Yeah, uh, I've actually had an opportunity to address this particular question with a group of secular college students in a world religions survey class. I was like a, a guest speaker. I was supposed to be representing, you know, what a fundamentalist Christianity. <laughs> and uh, but what I said, hey, I have background in religious studies. What I'd like to do with the class is is really uh, tell you how would a thoughtful person go about a proper religious quest. How, how would you explore all the various religious options on the table and choose the one that's right for you? And, hmm. and uh, it was just a way of, of getting at some important issues without saying, um, by the way, I'm going to be presenting the truth claims of Christianity and how they're superior, you know, mm-hmm. because honestly, the shields go up at that point and mm-hmm. people just stop listening. So I wanted to help them do a proper religious quest. And so I gave them... Uh, uh, some of these I made up on the spot, but I ended up giving them five reasons why a thoughtful person on a religious quest would obviously start that quest with Christianity. And so I just walked them through these these five things. And notice I didn't say Christianity is true and you have to embrace it. I said it uh, it makes a lot of sense to start your quest with mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. And here's five reasons why. Uh, let me give. The, I'll give those to you quickly. Uh, the first one is testability. Uh, it may not be the best philosophical term, but uh, but they understood what I was talking about. That you can actually, uh, by testing, offer evidence for and against the position, and the evidence actually means something. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can choose whether to be a follower of Jesus or not based on the evidence in the case. And I show them that's really not how other religions work at all. Even when they sound like they're about evidence. Turns out they're really not. Mm-hmm. The second reason, that, and they kind of like this one, I said, salvation in the system is a free gift from God. Yeah. Oh, they were college students. They loved the concept of free. <laughs> so, uh, so I just read them that passage in, in uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, went over the, the parable of the prodigal son. Just to show them how God just wants to just give you this free gift of salvation. And I go, if you're on a spiritual quest, that, that's something that ought to really capture your attention. 
The third one was that you get an amazing worldview fit. Hmm. Uh, this one was a little harder to demonstrate in a short period, but I made the case that Christianity paints a picture of the world that matches the way the world really is. Yes. Uh, the fourth one is a little technical, uh, but let me give you the fifth one, and that is uh, you really ought to start your quest with Christianity because Christianity has Jesus at the center. Yes. Hmm. And they thought, they thought, well, boy, now you're really stacking the deck. Mm-hmm. But I go, no, you have to understand something. Jesus is like the universal religious figure. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So uh, if that's the case, why not start with the religion that's had, that's had him firmly planted at the center since the very beginning? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, there's a lot of people who would say, okay, well, I'll give Christianity a, a, a hearing alongside everything else. This is a great strategy for, for getting them to take a look at the claims of Jesus, which, in my opinion, are really the place to begin because Jesus is, um, well, the most influential person who ever lived, undoubtedly. He's a man like no other. Yeah. There isn't anybody else close to Jesus. It is interesting, right? Um, in, in Islam, to, to back up what Craig is saying, in mm-hmm. Islam, right, Jesus plays a, a key role. He's mentioned mm-hmm. a number of times in in the Quran. Um, not not always entirely accurately, but but uh, but he's an important figure. Um, there's a wonderful essay uh, by Gandhi on how, on how much Jesus means to him, hmm. um, and uh, and so I I think you're right that that there are lots um, that that almost every religion wants a piece of Jesus. Um, Jesus is a is a pro- Jesus has the moral quality that we would expect in a prophet, unlike any of the other mm-hmm. supposed prophets. Even some people that are that are you know, excellent examples, you know, the, the Confucius or the Buddha or Socrates or, or Muhammad or Moses, um, you know, some of them are, 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 have a lot of wonderful character traits, um, but none, none like Jesus, right? His example, his teaching, his sacrifice, not to mention the, the resurrection, um, are put him in a class by himself. Mm-hmm. And that's, so I like your, I like your list, Craig, and I would, uh, I think it's, I think it's a, an excellent way to start. Yeah, I always like to to drive people toward the claims of Jesus because as much as uh, we do apologetics work in terms of defending the resurrection, the the resurrection is a vindication of all these things that Jesus claimed about himself, and so to to have people even test this this whole idea of religious pluralism based on well, can your can your pluralistic worldview make sense of what Jesus said? You know, Jesus claimed to forgive sins. Jesus claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus mm-hmm. claimed to be, you know, uh, so close to the Father in, in authority. And, you know, he keeps escalating this at his Jewish examination. Um, how does religious pluralism make sense of that, yes. you know? Or do we have to twist the words of Jesus and twist the words of Muhammad and these other leaders to, to make sense of your, your, you know, religious pluralistic worldview? Well, our, our time is rapidly uh, getting away from us. Um, anything else, Craig, that you'd like to mention as far as uh, advice or um, anything else that you wanted to say about this topic? Yeah, in terms of uh, uh, just engaging people of different faiths, uh, uh, you know, the listening thing is very helpful, but but spend some time reading even some good, solid introductory material on mm-hmm. those religions, especially if you're at work and you, you work next to a Sikh, mm-hmm. you know, or a Buddhist, mm-hmm. or a Mormon, or somebody. Uh, understand what they're, where they're coming from as best you can. You don't have to do a, a master's degree or a doctorate in, in the right. field in order to, to do that. So you, you ramp it up a little bit and make, make, your, uh, make your engagement mostly about curious questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, help, and and it's, it's not bad to couch them in terms like, help 
me understand yeah. what mean by this or that or the other thing, or how this compares to Christianity or how you deal with this issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's amazing how you you it, it, in that kind of approach suddenly you are uh, you're you're building friendships and relationships at the same mm-hmm. time and. And it really makes you an attractive uh, ambassador, to use a word Tim was using, mm-hmm. uh, for Jesus in those instances. Yeah. Tim, anything else you'd like to say? Sure. I'll, I'll uh, take my last word from, uh, from C.S. Lewis, who wrote in Mere Christianity that um, – that one of the, he says one of the great things about being a Christian is that we don't have to believe that everything in, in all the false religions is false. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to recognize that, that the ultimate truth is found in Jesus and his message um, because he is the God-man. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything in a competing religion is, is, is obviously false. It's not our job to smash everything we believe, everything they believe. In fact, if we believe that there is general revelation and that all truth is God's truth, mm-hmm. it just naturally follows that some of the things that we're going to find in other worldviews and other religions are right. And we can actually use those mm-hmm. for common ground to, 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 uh, to begin a conversation and then move on to the places where we disagree. That's clearly Paul's strategy in mm-hmm. Acts 17 and in a number of other places. And so um, I think that there's something uh, liberating about that notion that, it, again, it's not our job to, to refute and smash every claim. In fact, there are many, many things that we hold in common. It's, it's choosing those and then using them to, to explore the deeper and more exclusive uh, claims of Christ that, uh, that is part of our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the Table podcast, we've done a whole series on world religions, and people can check that out. Uh, we've done shows on not just uh, Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, Sikhism. We looked at a variety of different new religious movements as well, Scientology. And we began to ask questions like, what is the attraction to this mm-hmm. religion? Um, for people who are born into it, why do they stay? And then how does the gospel speak into these universal human longings that we find in these different That's traditions? Excellent. So encourage our listeners and viewers to, to check that out. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. A real pleasure oh, to have you. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Tim, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. And we thank you for joining us here on The Table Podcast. If you have a topic that you would like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, and I hope you'll join us again next time, right here on The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Love well.